Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing sacraments of initiation. And those are terribly important, so uh, hello there, Lindsay. It's good to be with you again as we gather together. Last, uh, last time we, we spoke, uh, we talked about the sacraments in general, and there was a lot of information, uh, a lot of information that I knew, but there were a few things that I, that I wasn't aware of. And so uh, we probably even got into a, a few tangents here and there. Uh, but, but we want to focus just on, on the sacraments of initiation because those are, the, those are so foundational. Everything we do in the church is rooted first and foremost in in baptism, in our in our initiation, in our connectedness to the Christ. Um, without that, the rest ha- is is meaningless, really, uh, because it is it is our connectedness with Jesus that really grounds us. It gives us that that foundation of rock, as the scriptures would tell us. Those sacraments of initiation. Uh, really are the foundational, pivotal. And in, as, as how do we, we show that in many ways in the reality is that uh, every sacrament that, that or mo- I would say not every, but most sacraments are always recorded. They always go back to where you were baptized. Mm-hmm. And so I had mentioned that, that at times, you know, we have, you know, baptismal records coming in from all over the United States, all over the world, really. Uh, for people that were baptized here at Holy Angels, and now those other sacraments such as confirmation, marriage, ordination, all of those come back to the origin of the, of the place, so that uh, it, because it's that important, that essential. Now, as as we did mention a little bit, and I just wanted to reiterate a little bit. You know, there's a, a bit of an understanding that. <clears throat> When it comes to sacrament, that Jesus is the is the first sacrament, is that first you know uh, presence of God, uh, that outward sign you might say. Jesus really is is the one in whom life is found, and in whom the Father is encountered. <clears throat> the Church also being a considered a sacrament as the body of Christ, the living body of Christ. Um, Jesus is you know you might say person. Uh, and saving action encountered in human beings, which makes all the sense in the world when you think about it. You know, as Augustine would say when we receive Eucharist, that we become what we receive. And even the the church understanding, you know, the different ways that, that Christ is present, you know, the church, the body of Christ, is considered to be one of those ways in which the the Christ Christ is present in our world today, and people encounter Christ, which is an important question. I think every single one of us, you know, in a sense, could ask ourselves: is that when someone encounters me, encounters you, Lindsay, do they encounter the living Christ? That's that's an important question because it, hopefully it would make us step back a bit and saying, "Wow, how do I live? How do I love? How do I serve? How do you know?" And then saying. Is are they encountering Christ when they encounter me as a human person? And then, of course, you have you know the sevenfold ministry in our sacraments that they talk about. You know uh, that in these sacraments, we do nothing less than encounter the divine. And I think sometimes we forget that we 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 can put them in 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 a, in a way of thinking that 
that somehow, you know, it's just something we go through because that's what the church expects, as opposed to understanding that when we genuinely celebrate any of these sacraments, is that we are doing nothing less than encountering the divine presence in our world today. That should be eye-opening to us, and that, that should be kind of kind of startle us a little bit and, and shake us up a bit, you know, as, as we look at that. But that's just wanted to reiterate a little bit of that because I think it's important that we, we place the sacraments, you know, of, of initiation. How do we become part of this enterprise? How do we become part of this family of God? How do we, and, and it's primarily through these sacraments of initiation. And the sacraments of initiation include baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation, depending upon what point we enter into the church or what point we are, whether as an infant or an adult. You know, it will be, you know, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, or it'll be baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. It'll be, you know, the, how we do it, baptism has always got to be first. That's always got to be first. That's primary. Um, because we are, you know, we put on Christ, as Paul would say. We put on Christ. And that whole idea of, of dressing in the white garment when a person was baptized in the early uh, centuries is that that idea you put on something clean, something new, something sparkling, something that was pure uh, because, you know, it really took away those sins. And so you put on Christ. And what's interesting is that uh, even indications that, you know, when we, for example, that this is not just when we're baptized, but it's carried over also into, you know, uh, wedding dresses, is that we presume a wedding dress stands, you know, for somehow the, the status of the bride. Um, it's a baptismal garment. It speaks of she is putting on Christ. She is putting on a, a kind of a new identity as one who is betrothed or married, is that it has nothing to do with the sexual status of the bride, you know, which too often it is, you know, it is pointed to as opposed to it originally was a, you know, a putting on of Christ again. It was uh, that, that garment of newness, of new identity, new life. Baptism is, is so essential that that's where it all starts. That's where we are washed clean. So when we look at baptism and the sacraments of initiation, we kind of put them together, even though they can be celebrated at, at different times. And though we put them together, is that baptism, uh, we might say if we were to look at each one a little bit individually, is that, one, we are baptized in the identity of Christ. Again, as Paul would say, we put on Christ. Uh, we, we are, you know, in, in, in a term, you know, it's, I know it's used uh, for clergy at different times in altar Christus, but, but we are to be an altar Christus also. We are the hands, the mouth, the feet of Christ today. And through our baptism, we put that on. Now, one might ask, well, how does one do that as an infant? You, you, you know, it can't happen. And to a degree, you're right, as an infant, you know, and, and even with infant baptism, that goes back to the very, very early centuries of the church, particularly in Acts of the Apostles and such, where they would talk about in, in Acts, and we've been hearing some of these stories where, you know, 5,000 were added, you know, 3,000 were added that day to the community. 
there is a presumption there that it wasn't just 3,000 men or it wasn't just 5,000 women. Is that this was, these were men, women, and children and everything in between and everyone in between. And so there is a presumption there that, that in the early centuries, early years, baptism wasn't just for adults who could profess Jesus as Lord you know, on their own. There was a presumption that particularly with an infant, that this infant was going to be raised as a Christian in the atmosphere of a Christian so that at some day, some point in their life, they would make that statement that they proclaim Jesus as Lord. I would a little bit kind of um, uh, compare it to uh, cooking where you either baste something or you marinate it. You know, when you baste something, you know, you kind of slather stuff on the outside and, and it stays pretty much on the outside. So you baste something. When you marinate, it sinks into all of the pores. It goes into the to the very essence of the piece of meat or vegetable or whatever you're you're marinating. Mm-hmm. It goes completely through, and that was the idea. You might say when it came to baptizing infants, this was a time of marination. This wasn't basting, rubbing something on the outside so we were pleasing to Jesus or to God. This was marinating. And so at time, there came a time as that young person would grow, they would make that very conscious and deliberate statement that was made on their behalf a long time ago. Is that why you have godparents? Very much. The godparents were to help the marination process, you might say. <laughs> you know, and there were several reasons for godparents is that one is that it helped to a, a, a child to grow so that you know, it wasn't just the parents. It was the whole community, you might say. And godparents, in ways, represented the community. Godparents also took on a significant role in the early years and such. Not so much today. In the early years, where if something, God forbid, were to happen to the parents, is that there was a there was a, an understanding that these godparents would take the child in and would make sure that they were raised you know, as, as a Christian, and so that they would take on that important role. That's not so much today, you know, for lots of different reasons, although I, I do see a resurgence, you might say, of, of the importance of godparents, saying, you know, look, you know, when, when somebody comes up to, you know, Aunt Sophie or so who, and says, you know, tell me about Jesus, go ask your mom and dad is not the right response, that there needs to be more people who are giving witness on behalf of the community of saying, this is who we are. This is how we live. This is how we treat one another. This is how we are generous to one another. And so that this young person being baptized sees it in lots of different ways. That's the whole point of this. Again, it's marination. It's not just basting something on the outside. If you're an adult getting baptized, do you have godparents? You don't have godparents per se, but you do what we call as a there is a sponsor. There is a sponsor. So in in a sense, potato potato, mm-hmm. in a way, the role in in many ways is very similar. One though being obviously from a very young age and such, and and the idea of of a person that has been entrusted by the community to be this this uh, person who's being welcomed in as a sponsor, to show them what it means to follow Christ 
in this tradition we call Roman Catholicism. Uh, again, the, the idea, even when you go back, and it's something to you go back even to the commandments. You know, we have learned the commandments as thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That's really a misinterpretation. It, they were not supposed to be rules to be followed and otherwise you're going to be punished. They were to be a description to a person and saying, if you wish to be part of this community, then this is what we're going to ask of you. One, we only have one God. We worship only that God. We worship together regularly, you know, on a Sunday, let's say. We, we honor our parents. We, we do not covet each other's things. We honor our commitments and our, our faith. We don't lie to each other. We don't kill each other. You know, saying, this is what it means to be part of this community. Not simply, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Because the thou shalt not types of things says, well, then there are ways that I can get around it. What if nobody sees it? You know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, this is a way that I live. Not because if I don't get caught, I get punished. But because this is how this community lives. The same thing is happening in many ways when it comes to baptism. And you have sponsors and godparents saying, this is who we are. This is how we are to live. And those sponsors help to, to take on that. So that's part of that identity, you might say. When it comes to confirmation, and we'll I'm just to jump to the three here, when it comes to confirmation is that we are being confirmed in, we are embracing that, uh, uh, that, that sense of mission. We are taking upon ourselves that sense of mission. In fact, um, in the, again, the early centuries, a lot of times these things took place all at the same time. But we're finding, though, even in the readings, just a couple days ago we had readings where... Peter enters a circumstance and, and goes to a community and said they had been baptized, but they had not yet received the Spirit. And so even in the early parts when the scriptures were being written, they were talking about that though people had been baptized, even whole communities, families had been baptized, they had not yet received the power of the Spirit. And so Peter, you know, they lay hands on them, they breathe over them, they anoint them, is that now they receive that Spirit, and that Spirit is that which gives them the strength to, to go out and to live that mission of Jesus, to live it in everyday life, in how they worked, and how they partied, and how they lived at home, and how they met in the neighborhoods, that, that this was to be something that was to be part and parcel of their life. So you are confirmed, you might say, in that spirit, that, that now you're going to take it another step further and embrace it and live it in that day to day. And then in Eucharist, which is the third of the, of the three, is that it's, it's, it's embracing and, and participating, you might say, in the destiny of the Lord. You know, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And because of all of that, you know, the promise of eternal life, the promise of resurrection. Our, uh, our readings, the readings that I have been reflecting on both for Mass, but also for the, in, in the breviary that, that we pray, is that they talk about, you know, Lord, you know, bless us so that we may know our resurrection, that because we have known your son's resurrection, we may also experience the resurrection when you call us all home in the end time. It's that idea that we are embracing the identity of what is meant not only for Jesus, but ultimately is meant for all of us. And, and it is Eucharist in which we participate in that. 
And you think about the sacraments of initiation, primarily, again, with baptism, it's about, you know, it, it, the effects, you might say, of, of that is that it takes away sin, you know, again, starting new, a new life in Christ, and it also is is the recognition of the new birth in the Spirit. So, so the effects, the characteristics are such, is that that we become, you know, sinless. The slate is wiped clean, you might say. What's interesting is that baptism became so important is that there was more than one way to be baptized. And so you had what was baptism of blood, martyrdom. Mm, okay. It was the martyrs were considered to be baptized through, the, through blood. And you had the baptism of desire so that if a person, you know, for whatever reason, didn't get to that point of having the water poured and the words and all of that, but there was a desire, and, and it was known that there was a desire there, just didn't quite get there, is that there was a baptism of desire. Um, the baptism, you might say, of Christ's redemption, again, believing and, 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 and recognizing that, that it is... You know, Christ redeems us. Even you had different ways of baptizing. Uh, for aspersion, they called it, you know, sprinkling. Mm -hmm. um, again, the words in the water. Uh, you had infusion, which was pouring. And then you had immersion, which was, you know, dipping the person completely underwater. The immersion has started to come back a bit in the last years, particularly with baptismal fonts and not the little bowls that sometimes there, but the large fonts were adults children can be totally immersed mm -hmm. in the water. That, to me, is a rich symbol when a person is immersed. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of that now in light of the COVID-19 and that type of thing. So you have, so baptism, again, was that, that idea of, of being in baptized, baptized in Christ. For confirmation, as I was talking about, is that it is when one, you know, embraces that mission when I was confirmed, it was a practice that you were to be a soldier of Christ, okay? That was, that was the, the image that they used. You were a soldier of Christ. And in fact, when you were confirmed, after you were confirmed, you were given a slap on the cheek <laughs> to show that you had to be willing to suffer for Christ. Again, it was one of those small sacramental symbols that, that spoke of what it meant to be a soldier of Christ. Don't you don't think you could do that today. <laughs> no, no, for lots of different reasons, but you're right. But that was very common, you know, because you were to be a soldier of Christ. Wow. You were to take that out, you know, and, and so the essential pieces were to, you know, you were prayed over that the Spirit would come upon you. You were anointed with the chrism. Again, the character of this was is that you were to, you know, to take that into the world and by the way you lived and how you loved, people were to know who you were committed to and what you were committed to. This was now part of the mission. You know, go out and make, make disciples of all people. You know, that, that, that great commission of Christ um, given to the apostles, but also given to us. And we are also part of that to be as disciples. And so because we have been washed clean in the, in the waters of baptism, because we have embraced that, we have become part of that family, you might say now we are commissioned to go out and we are commissioned to, to really take that into the world in which we live. And so we are sealed, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
there is a handshake of peace, there are the laying on of hands, all of that is part and parcel of, of the confirmation as part of the rites of, of, of initiation. And you have a sponsor for that too. Yes, you do have a sponsor for that. And a lot of times they will take the same sponsor as they had for their baptism, which in a sense makes sense. Um, other times, not so much. Sometimes there will be a change of name uh, that was much more popular in, in the past. I would say that when I was confirmed in the uh, 1960s is that that was very much what you did. Um, that kind of waned for a long time. Yeah, I don't have one. Um, you're beginning to see a little bit more of that happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're emphasizing more of the saints, you know, that, you know, having whether or not you take a name is that many of our confirmands, uh, the confirmandi are taking saints names, saying, that's the person I really feel strongly about. There's something about that person. And so they are doing more now with, with uh, young people taking on saints and saying, I want to learn more about that. And in fact, our own archbishop will oftentimes, you know, uh, ask questions, you know, of the confirmandi, mm-hmm. you know, of, of what they are, you know, their saint that they have kind of taken. Again, whether or not they take the new name or not is not as relevant as, have you learned something from this person? What have they taught you by the life that they've lived? Again, how they live their life, what does that say in how you're going to live your mm-hmm. life? It's one of those things that kind of comes and goes over a period of time. And and what it, what really when you think about with with confirmation it it, it roots us more deeply as a child of God, um, you might say it unites us in many ways more closely to Christ. Again, the commitment that we have, um, it's it's about the the Holy Spirit and and opening oneself to the power and to the grace of the Holy Spirit, helping young people to grow in an understanding of that. Um, it. You might say it perfects that bond that we have with the church, the people of God. And even, you know, there is that sense of, of helping young people understand that this is important. Um, there is an expectation that we have of you and how you live um, as part of the church, that you will practice that faith in, 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 your, in your normal uh, prayer life and spiritual life. And, and, and we are able to do that because of the, uh, the, in, you know, the increase of the Spirit in our lives. And then when you take the Eucharist with all of that, uh, the Eucharist being the, the third of, of the sacraments, is that with the Eucharist, it's, it's realizing you might say that uh, we are being nourished in order, to, in order to live out what the other two are speaking of, we are being nourished. We are being challenged. We are being, you know, uh, uh, taught. You know, when you think about the what the Eucharist helps us to do, it's it's not just about receiving the body and blood of, of, of the risen Christ. It's about also joining with the community and knowing that we can't do this alone. It's not simply me and Jesus, you know. <laughs> it's me, Jesus, and the community. Um, sometimes uh, our uh, other Christian brothers and sisters, you know, they emphasize almost to an nth, you know, nth degree, it's, it's about me and Jesus. And for us, it's not. The stool's got three legs, me, Jesus, and the community. Celebrating Eucharist on a regular basis really does make a difference. 
And so it's a gathering with the community. It's hearing the word of God. It's recognizing that we are challenged on a weekly basis of what it means to love, what it means to live, of, of challenging the way we think, uh, of how we interact, that we need to hear. When you look at the, you know, the, the gathering, of, or she's not the gathering, but you look at re receiving the, the body and blood of Christ, we are being nourished you know, for the journey, you might say. We are receiving the body and blood of the risen Christ, and in doing so, again, becoming what we receive. But in becoming what we receive, being able to live that out every single day. And so when you th also, it's the three, you know, three of the four ways that Christ is present. We believe that Christ is present in the community gathered, in the word proclaimed, in the body and blood of the risen Christ, in the, under the appearance of bread and wine. And we also believe that the presence of Christ is significantly there also in the priest who is the presider. Mm -hmm. In all of these ways, it helps us to live out what the other two sacraments celebrate and the other two sacraments, you know, signify. So when you think about the sacraments of initiation, that, well, I was baptized, I don't need to worry about the other ones, or, well, I, you know, I was baptized and, and I go to Mass, I, I don't worry about the confirmation, is that we undermined, again, what is very possible. And that's why I always encourage adults that maybe for whatever reason they haven't been, you know, confirmed. It's not just about filling in the blanks. There, we believe that the power of the Spirit is significantly there. And, and, and in that Spirit, you know, we are able to carry out what the Scriptures, what baptism, all, all of that. We can carry that out better um, in the way we live uh, the sacraments of initiation. And then how we go to celebrate the other sacraments also. So the sacrament of baptism and confirmation are not repeatable. That is correct. But the sacrament of Eucharist, Eucharist. you get it, well, right now, not every week, but mostly <laughs> but, every yes, week. That is repeatable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but the other two, confirmation, again, because we believe it, it, the character, as we say, changes the way we relate. The Eucharist feeds into how we are able to carry that out, but we believe that the character of that sacrament changes the, the very foundational re relationship, the foundational relationship between, you know, with us and Christ and with God and, and, and with the church. And so those are not repeated. And First Eucharist is often not recorded, um, whereas we have a book for baptism. We have a book to record confirmation. That is correct. A lot of times we'll get phone calls from people saying, I need my record of my first communion. And you're like, well... Yeah, the, and see, <laughs> there's there's no need for a record of First Communion um, because, it, in a sense, it doesn't change the relationship, or the, 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 the specific character and such. is It is something that if you've gone through the other two, in a sense, there is a presumption that, that we are able to live these out precisely because we are being fed with the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, you're right, because the same thing happens, for example, with reconciliation. People will say, I want a record that I made my reconciliation. We really don't keep that record because it's really not important to be kept. Um, 
marriage, yes, you know, and, and you know, those kinds of things. Ordination, yes. Again, because the character of, of such changes the relationship. And so there is, there is no, uh, usually no record that is kept. Now, sometimes they do have books where the names are, um, but it's really not. It's not official. It's not official. That is correct. Plus, it's, it's First Eucharist. Where it's not first baptism. Correct. That is yeah. correct. You know. There you go. That is correct. <laughs> you know, you don't get baptized. Although it's interesting how, when, again, as people grow in their faith, people will be baptized in the church. So if they're baptized, you know, in the Catholic Church and go to another church, sometimes, as we used to do, they will be rebaptized. Okay. We do not approach it that way. And so sometimes when we have a person who is baptized in church X, Y, or Z, and it's it's an official baptism, Father, Son, and Spirit, water poured, all of that, is that they come and say, but I want to be rebaptized in the Catholic Church, saying, you have a relationship with Jesus that started with baptism. We don't rebaptize. And, and, and at times people are very disappointed about that. So what if someone's confirmed in their other, another faith and then decides they want to come to Catholicism? Again, with confirmation, because of our understanding and the theology behind it, that is a place where, for example, there might be a confirmation in a Lutheran church or whatever mm -hmm. in church. Again, that is where our understanding of confirmation is very different from each other. Now, it okay. deals with the spirit, but, but some of the theological underpinnings are, are very different. And so we do confirm, you know, in the Catholic Church because it is not seen as sacramental in the other churches. For us, it is seen as sacramental. Okay. And then people might not know that you use three different oils. One, one oil is for baptism, right? We have the, well, we have, actually, we use for baptism, we use the... Uh, the oil of, of the catechumenate, which is uh, basically um, an oil that, that asks for the present, uh, prevention against evil and such. That is on the breastbone where we anoint. And then we have the oil of chrism that is used for, um, for, the, uh, for, the, for, for the crown of the head uh, as, again, one is anointed as priest, prophet, king. So we use two different oils. Uh, and there are circumstances where we may only use one. Right now, because of the circumstances, we tend to use the one. Is that the chrism is 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 always expected to be used, uh, but the the oil of catechumenate, the oil of of prevention against evil, that one sometimes may or may not be uh, used. And then you use the catechumenate at confirmation. Chrism. Chrism. At, uh, yeah. Chrism. That, at, uh, yes. Yeah. That's... Chrism is used for yes. baptism. Confirmation and uh, ordination. Okay. We use the chrism. Uh, the oil of the infirmed, we'll get to that one at a later time, is used for, for those who are sick. And then the, uh, the, uh, the third oil is being used for those, uh, again, again, prevention against evil and such, during the, usually during the rite of RCIA, the rite of Christian initiation for adults, is that those oils, that oil will be used. So when you see three oils in a church, that's why. That's exactly it. Anyway, well, thank you for this conversation. We will talk about which ones next The time. next sacraments that we talk about 
are the sacraments that we call sacraments of healing, uh, which would be the sacrament of reconciliation and oftentimes referred to as confession, and then the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. So they're oftentimes referred to as sacraments of healing. Great. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time.